You're listening to On the Other Hand, bringing you different perspectives for everyday problems. I'm one of your hosts, Julia Meadows. For episode one of our podcast, host Christopher Levan, minister of College Street United Church in Toronto, Canada, offers a commentary on the recent 2016 American presidential election and one part of what people can do during the current and future hate-filled chaos. That's nice. The pitfalls of the Canadian dream. In a little-known judicial maneuver, the Ontario legislature passed the Apology Act in 2009. Hardly necessary elsewhere, this piece of legislation established in law the principle that saying, I'm sorry, is not an admission of guilt. Only in Canada. An apology, according to this act, cannot be presented in court as evidence of a person's guilt, for it speaks of regret and sympathy, even pain perhaps, but not culpability. The law is necessary since saying, I'm sorry, in Canada, is as commonplace as asking about the weather. Everyone does it up here in the true north, strong and free. Apologizing is our third official language. And you know this if you live here. It is commonplace that if someone bumps into you on the streetcar, you say, I'm sorry, how about if they step on your foot? (laughs) Then everyone is sorrying everyone else. We apologize our way into public pronouncements and private meetings. If we beat someone in hockey, we don't crow about it, we apologize. Sorry about that, we say quietly with a smug shrug of our shoulders. If inadvertently I cut into the line at the bank or, heaven forbid, jump the queue at Tim Hortons, well, that requires industrial strength sorrying. Face it, we're an apologizing nation. A quick look at the Vimy Memorial points to this very obvious Canadian trait. Even when we win in battle and through that winning establish our nationhood, as is clearly the case with the Battle of Vimy Ridge in World War I, We don't boast. No breast-beating bravado. Our commemorative monument speaks of heart-wrenching mourning and deep regret. Look closely at the face of the main sculpture. She stands on the edge of the ridge, overlooking the plains below, the plains through which the defeated armies retreated, and she is downcast and forlorn over the loss of life and the devastation of violence. One cannot picture this sculpture, or any other Canadian for that matter, toting a ball cap that reads, Make Canada Great. We don't boast, we apologize. We don't shout, Canada first. We say quietly, I'm sorry. And because we're an apologetic people, prone to taking the back seat and not pushing ourselves forward, we are called nice. A friend from New York once put it this way, Americans are friendly, Canadians are nice, and I, for one, am pleased to be called nice, for it denotes a certain essential and abiding polite restraint. It's what your mom and dad said to you first when you went out in public. Be nice, they whispered into your ear as you walked off to school, right? And it wasn't just a piece of optional parental advice, something to ignore as soon as they were out of sight. It was a moral mandate not to be forgotten. Now, how does that translate into 2016? 
Perhaps more than ever, we need to abide by the nice commandment. Nice says that just because you could say something rude doesn't mean you should, even if you've been wronged and are justifiably angry. Being nice, we don't jump to name-calling on a personal level, and we renounce warmongering on the global scene. Nice requires that we avoid making sweeping generalizations about race, religion, ethnicity, or sexual orientation, and we keep our mouths shut when other people do. Nice means we make space on the bench for someone who needs to sit down. Rather than complain that they're taking our spot, we apologize for being slow in recognizing their hardship. In ethical terms, we could argue that being nice is the first and foundational lesson of moral behavior. It teaches us the difference between could and should. Just because you can do something is no reason to believe that you should do something. Nice shows us that power does not automatically confer virtue and that success is not equivalent to progress. Most importantly, though, Nice tells us that some words, once they are spoken, cannot be retracted, and given the power of language to inflict pain and suffering, they should never be uttered. Well, okay, so much for the praise of being nice. And now, on the other hand, without denying any of the high qualities of Nice, it also has a shadow side. I speak here from personal experience. Being nice, we have trouble calling a spade a shovel. We'd rather avoid straight talk for fear of hurting people. We run from conflict and bury our head in nice thoughts, hoping that things will blow over. And sometimes they do, and often they don't. And in that case, our avoidance makes them worse. In a similar fashion, nice means we won't be upfront and clear about our own dreams and principles, letting others take the stage. And how often have I told myself not to be pushy, and then, when we're ignored or our efforts are belittled, we complain about it to ourselves later, fuming all alone. Being nice, we have trouble naming injustice. And being unpracticed in frank talk, we can sometimes either overreact or speak clumsily when direct and uncompromising debate is required. So nice is not always nice, but I still prefer it to its opposite. And here we arrive at the current juncture. Americans, in their wisdom, have elected Donald Trump. His triumph has split the nation. Some call him savior, others call him Satan. Journalists use words like dark or distrustful. He's a straight talker go-getter for the right and the left thinks of him as a joke or a cheat. But as far as I know, no one has called Donald Trump nice. It would be more accurate to argue that Donald Trump removed the last vestiges of nice from American public discourse. For the last 50 years or so, there's been a growing intolerance for slanders and slurs. Language that demeaned others because of race or religion was deemed unacceptable. Words that belittled or humiliated another on account of their sex or sexual orientation were dropped. But of late, this trend to be careful in our choice of vocabulary has been derisively called political correctness, as if being polite was a handicap and guarding one's speech was childish. Trump reveled in barging over these previously held boundaries, and while people were shocked at first, it is as if he has opened up a new era of free speech, sometimes blunt, often hurtful, and in some cases quite dangerous. When I hear his speeches, I think of my basement tool room. Now, there's no obvious connection between Trump and tools, except in that room there is the plumbing stack drain trap cover. Every house has one. Go look for yourself. It's a metal plate 
covering a hole in the sewage pipe. It's there so that if the line leading to the city mains becomes blocked, the plumber has a way to get at the problem without digging up your front yard. And the cap cover? Eh, it's essential. The drain cap cover keeps the smell, and uh, forgive the bluntness, the shit from backing up into the house. If you remove that cover, your basement will soon smell and look like a sewer. I watched in dismay as the drain cap cover was removed from the American household. Anything and everything poured out, and now it's hard to see how we'll fix the growing mess. Isms of all stripes are now set loose. Hatred is roaming free again. And while Trump never suggests that he wants more anger in society, that has been the net result of his own disregard for rules of decency and dignity. We've allowed him to reset the clock, turning back time by many decades, and it's difficult to imagine how the emotional vitriol and the verbal filth that has been released will be contained again. Hate, you see, is in fashion. Van Jones, a CNN commentator, coined the phrase hate wave, and he suggests that Trump is just one example of how public animosity against the other is sweeping Western democracies and threatening even Canada. We're being burned up by our own hatred of them. It's a suggestive phrase, hate wave, and it captures precisely the problem. Like heat wave, the hate wave is something in the air. It's not any one person's fault, nor is it within any one person's ability to control. It's a smoldering weight, smothering vitality, stifling goodwill. It's killing nice people. Resisting this hate wave, or what I would call the vilification of difference, will be the challenge to Canada's nice. Will we be able to resist label-making, insult-flinging, and yet stand firm? Can we engage the alt-right, as they call themselves, in honest debate without resorting to personal attacks or personality assassinations, as Canadians seem prone to do with Donald Trump? To descend into hate speech against the very people who promote the rhetoric of racial animosity, for instance, is to lose. We need to hold on to our nice. The nice challenge? What do we do? Let's break it down into three easy steps. Something you can tweet to your followers. Step one, be nice. Speak frankly and firmly in defense of difference. People who do not look like us, or think or pray or talk like us, are not the enemy. They are our neighbors. Let us welcome their difference for the richness it represents. Step two, be nice. Resist hate speech, even and especially when talking with those who use it. Finally, step three, be nice. Apologize often, not because you're always guilty, though that is the case more often than we care to admit, but because saying, I'm sorry, speaks of common compassion and regret for the misfortune and mistakes that beset us as human creatures. Saying, I'm sorry, may not be admissible in court in Canada, but it works very well on a crowded streetcar. For, on the other hand... I'm Christopher LeVan. Thank you for listening to this episode of On the Other Hand. 
If you enjoyed it, which we hope you did, remember to visit our Facebook page to listen to future episodes and leave comments with your thoughts on this episode as well as your ideas for what you'd like to hear about in future podcasts. We would love to hear from you. Once again, this was episode one of On the Other Hand. Thank you.